Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple of pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm Todd Bashong, the editor here at the show, and due to a slight technical error, this episode's intro and conclusion were lost to space and time due to the evil unreliability of Zoom and the internet. However, due to this error, it's my privilege to introduce this week's guest. Today, John is joined by Mandy Drury. Mandy is a regular guest on the show, and in addition to being a professor of practical theology at Indiana Wesleyan University, Mandy is an unparalleled preacher and communicator of the gospel and has preached and taught at countless arrays of camps, retreats, and conferences in churches across the country. This week's text is James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Again, James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Make sure to subscribe if you aren't already so you never miss an episode. And again, our apologies, but due to our technical error, the last few moments of this episode are cut short. However, there is still a trove of insights and reflections on this passage for us to enjoy. So without further ado, here's John and Amanda's reflections on James 1, verses 17 through 27. Yeah, so we're looking at James chapter 1, verses uh, 17 through 27 at the end of the chapter. Would you be willing to read? Sure. I'm reading out of the NLT. James 1, 17 through 27. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, the word which according to uh, this scripture has been implanted, has been sown in us like a seed and able to save our souls. But that word has been implanted not merely to be heard, but to be looked intently into and to be performed, enacted, obeyed. And so, Lord, we dare to ask that as we spend an hour today listening to the words, looking intently into the word, that we would not be mere hearers, but also doers. And this would be a good thing. And so, it's a good gift. And every good and perfect gift comes from you, O Father of lights. And so, that's why we pray and ask that your word would be both heard and done by us and all those listening in on this conversation. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, your incarnate word. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so what are you noticing? Either something fresh you're seeing today or a, maybe an old favorite or what, what's, what is it about this text that captures you today? You chose it. I gave you you know, behind the scenes info for our listeners. I gave, I gave Mandy first dibs on James. She could pick any of the 
the selections. I think we have five that we're going through and she selected this one. So what draws you to this text and, and what draws your attention freshly today? Yeah. What draws me to this text is, is pretty much what draws me to the entire book, honestly. And that is, it's just how picturesque this, this book is, how many images it gives. It's just word pictures over and over and over again. So John, you would know this, but the book of James was my favorite book as a middle schooler. And I think that's largely because it was my youth pastor's favorite book. I remember him preaching out of it. He would memorize verses out of James. And so I would try to do the same thing because I wanted to be just like Doug Swank. I'll give him, give him a shout out. But as I'm returning to this as an adult, and, and I don't think I've preached on this for years. I can't remember the last time I've preached out of, out of James. I am struck by just how imagery laden this is, how every verse is just is packed with pictures, especially when I compare it to Paul, who seems really, really wordy <laughs> right next to James here. I, I feel like I could read one verse and preach out of that. So in some ways, it feels a little bit overwhelming to look at verses 17 through 27, because it feels like there's so many different directions. But to jump into it, I, I should say the first thing that grabbed my attention and maybe it's the translation I'm reading too, but was from verse 18. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And I don't, I don't remember what the NIV would have said that I grew up with, but he chose to give us birth. That, that's a phrase I, I, don't, I don't know that I've, that I've heard before, that I've, that I've thought through. I'm curious what your translation says there. Well, let's do some, uh, some translation comparing of a bunch. So let me go. I'm opening up NIV right now just get in contrast. So NIV, which is, I think what you were memorizing from as a kid, right? Although this might be the updated edition. So it might be a little different. So NIV has, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And then NLT was what you just had, although it switched to true word because it might be an adjectival genitive, sorry, but the of truth thing that we see that, you know, X of Y a lot in the New Testament. Sometimes the of why is a is an adjective, so it's better translated true word. So I, I think that's a fine choice. Although I, you know me, I like those archaic phrasing like word of truth. And then ESV has of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So they used the word will instead of chose and used brought us forth. And then just to get some others, uh, here, hey, here's King James of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Well, that's actually kind of (laughs) cool. Or NASB has in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I don't have my NRSV handy here, but I'll glance at that maybe later. But I mean, this is how, this is what draws me to the original, right? Is, is comparing translations, but you're about to respond though. What's coming to mind there? Yeah, I think one of the reasons why this verse didn't stick out to me before now was because as as a middle schooler, it just didn't really mean a whole lot to me. In fact, I remember kind of always glazing over this verse because the, the images weren't quite as clear to me. It felt, ah. more, it felt more wordy. But but I'm struck. This, this is time. funny. I, I, I got, sorry, this is, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you have this contrast you're using between images and being wordy. And I find yeah. that striking because because I think, Images are wordy. These are word images, and there would be less words if he didn't clutter it with a bunch of images. So I'm trying to understand <laughs> what you mean by I'm not I'm not against images. I know what you're saying that Paul is more wordy. I catch the sentiment, but I don't understand what you're getting at. Is it that he's using concepts and making arguments rather than just putting forth a a clear instruction, moral instruction in in an image? Sure. Is, so, so I tend to think in pictures and in images. Yeah. So if I were to turn this into a comic book, you would have a whole bunch of squares of showing you could, you could almost illustrate this. Just and you wouldn't need it. You wouldn't need a ton of text. Right. That's what you yeah. mean by wordy. Okay. That's what I Cause mean like, I'm words. looking at it. I'm like, Mandy, these are words and there's a lot of them. <laughs> and he's like throwing every word he can and, yeah, and he's yeah. mixing his metaphors. And I'm like, actually, once you started, like you said, it would be, what's difficult is doing a large chunk of text. Cause actually once the metaphors mix, it actually would be hard to think in pictures. Yes. Uh, yes. They would have to be almost separated. Each verse or paragraph here would need its own page in the comic book. Okay. I understand what you mean by wordy now. Wordy okay. for you means 
words that can't be easily turned into pictures. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which would be true. That's a that's called a concept. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying. I wasn't meaning to insult you. I'm sorry if it came off that way. I oh, just no, wasn't. You're fine. I didn't get entirely what you meant, and now I see. This is, of course, an image, but it sounded like it was an image that didn't register with you as a teenager. Right. right. Perhaps. Yeah. It also wasn't, it's not a moral instruction. It's a statement of fact. Yeah. Um, What, what sticks out to me in in verse 18 here is he chose to give birth. Now, I mean, there's going to be some people that are going to be confused by he and giving birth. If you're not of the understanding that God is, you know, not just some giant male in the sky, but that's, that's a side point there, but you don't choose to give birth. Like birth is the one thing that just kind of happens that, you know, there's, you can try to speed something up or, but, but it's largely out of, out of your control. So people can talk about trying to get pregnant. I'm just thinking of, you know, having a baby here and yeah, all of these elements are out of control to a certain, a certain extent, but especially giving birth where we say, you know, you, you don't know what time, what date you're going to go into labor unless you're doing some kind of C-section and just God's ultimate power and control here over the things that are most wily and unpredictable for us. He chose to give birth. It didn't happen to him. There was a choice here. There was a will involved. He chose to give us birth. And then how? By giving us his true word. Now, is that word as in Jesus Christ, the word? That's uh, it's it's, uh, it's ambiguous. On the one hand, I would I would like to say yes because there's not a lot of Jesus talk in the book of James. So right. it would be nice to see some <laughs> some implicit Christological material here. And maybe this takes us too far afield now, but I'll say it now. I mean, James clearly has a special connection to wisdom literature, mm-hmm. both in Hebrew wisdom literature as appears in our Bibles, Proverbs, etc., which was probably your other favorite book as a teenager. It was. Um, you were a little moralistic. Uh, I was. I like <laughs> good Christian. I follow and chat. And I think that's part of what, like you said, you said it. You didn't realize that at the time that the imagery of James might have been what kept you there. What drew you there was authority and and people you looked up to, as well as instru- clear moral instruction. That was important to you. Right. Um, but uh, what kept you there might have been the imagery because you're an artist and you think in oh, pictures yeah. and it and these, connects and with these you. And these mic drop moments of these, these one-liners yeah. that James has. So you believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You, you know, it's, yeah. for a 12-year-old, 13-year-old mind, there's some there's just a little bit of sass to this. And I agree that Paul's wordy in the sense that his sentences are just really dang long. He just uh-huh. has long, convoluted sentences that are like dancing around a deep idea so they don't mic drop in the same way. They don't. They're not. They're not built right. around one-liners. Whereas, yeah. and that one-liner quality is wisdom literature is often written in that style. Yes. Proverbs, obviously, yes. but other parts of wisdom literature have that. But also, you have Greek wisdom literature, Greek Hellenistic Jewish wisdom literature, which would appear in Catholic and Orthodox Bibles. You know, wisdom of Solomon, Baruch. So there's more wisdom literature in non-Protestant Bibles. We're actually missing out on some of that, which all would have been read and would have been the soup that Paul and James and Jesus were living in. The literature was very popular at their time. And then just the broader wisdom literature of the Greco-Roman world, the Stoics and other philosophers. So this language fits that. So it it is the word logos, which made you think of Jesus in John 1. I'm not sure it has the same. I don't think James is operating with a kind of full-blown incarnational Christology like John's gospel is, but it is connected in the sense of even the language of seed here. I don't know if the word seed appears here, but I think it does, it comes it shows up later, I think. Maybe not. But the imagery is is this notion of the word has been the word through which God created everything which again, very Hebrew mm-hmm. notion of God speaking the world into existence. And then by doing that, God's kind of implanted the word kind of out in the world, right? But then it needs to be cooperated with on our side to bring forth virtue for that word to, so hence the hearing and doing. So this is definitely both the style of James as well as the the doctrine of James in verse 18 here is very wisdom language, the word of truth. But at the same time, it's also... Sorry to go off on wisdom literature here, but I think it's really helpful background for James, especially because this is the first episode of a five weeks on James. 
a big theme in some of the Greek Jewish. So it's Greek written, but it's written by Jews, right? Wisdom of Solomon, Baruch, some of these, Sirach, Wisdom of Ben Sirach. They all have this narrative of like wisdom and or the word Sophia and Logos. God creates the world. Everyone could have wisdom to know that there's a God and to follow God. And yet they're all, all the pagans run away from it. And so that word comes in this particular form for the Jews through the law. So then the Torah is the kind of true wisdom, the true word. Hmm. So I would imagine word of truth here, or true word is talking also about the scriptures. I okay. think he's talking about yep. the scriptures, but not just the scriptures. There's also the general, a notion of a general wisdom that James might have in mind here, but I doubt it's his main focus. He's talking about the law, the Torah, not just the scriptures in general, but I think the Torah, I think that's what's in his mind. Wow, what an image. I love that we're camping out on one verse. That's so James. It's and just awesome because every verse has juice in it. It does. And I would probably, I know this is jumping into some of the preaching territory. I would probably look at the whole passage and and try to almost break it up into images. So to, I'd see which images capture me. So I mean that verse verse 17 could be its own its own image, its own thought. Verse 18, 19, okay, so the 19 through well, yeah, no, this no, isn't a preaching that. question. It's just saying what what are the main images of the passage? But you want to scratch it? Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I, I'm going to scratch a try, trying to assign verses to them. So we've got the images of, of the good gifts, the choosing to give birth, and then we've got this whole discord on on anger. And and again, this is just it's easy to wrap. James is simple to understand and hard to do. I think. Yes, I think that's his so, intent. <laughs> Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Yeah, you were counting images. So we have the language of of gifting, of light, right? Light and shadow. Right. The language of being brought forth. I think we need to come back to that one because I'm not sure birth is the right translation. I think that's might be what throwing us off. Okay. Because that goes with first fruits. I think it's mm. this is farming language, which okay. is also seed. Which is yeah. the same word for sperm. It's sperma in Greek. So it, it is bringing forth, but my, my it's bringing forth a, like that. <laughs> yeah, it's bringing forth a harvest, I think, would be more. It's not the usual words used for begetting and birth and regeneration and stuff like that. It's a slightly different term. It's, uh, well, we, we can come back to that if we want. Let's keep counting. And then in terms of word pictures, uh, slowness and quickness, verse 19. Right. Yep. And then, well, actually, we go back to the language of farming in 20 with the yes. bringing, producing righteousness. And same and with 21, then God plants it. In there it heart. is, implanted word. I was looking for that, right? So yeah. that, that language, I think 16 through huh. 21 really all works in a kind of father is provider and the, the kind of farmer, the one who provides everything, brings it all forth. Yeah. But then we have our cooperative place within that. And then the shift really, I think, is more in 22. But again, it's in a catchword style, which is very Jewish style of writing, is you kind of say something and then one idea, often towards the end of it, then becomes the starting point of the next section. Mm-hmm. The whole first chapter of James has that kind of structure where, like he talks about, you know, back earlier in the chapter, right? He says, lacking nothing, you know, verse four. And then he says, ah, but if any of you lacks wisdom, so then he goes into one thing that you might lack. So that's his kind of writing style is to kind of, so I think it's all this word talk then gets him the shifting in 22. And then you get this whole imagery of, of the mirror, right? which I really want to talk about after the break, because yeah. I think yeah. that is fascinating and a new image that that's a little different than, than up to this point. But why don't we take a quick break and come back and, and dig more into this if you want. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we are looking at James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Let's uh, let's hear the text again. I'll go ahead and read it. This is going to be annoying, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to sight read it a little bit so that we get a, a very ugly, not quasi-English reading. Does that sound good? Just to mix Sounds it up. Good. Okay. So starting verse 17, every 
act of giving that is good and every gift that is perfect is from above, descending from the Father of the lights, with whom there is not one variation or shifting shadow. Having willed it, he brought forth us by the word of truth um, unto being ourselves the first fruits among his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let it be that indeed every person be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not uh, work and produce. I can't figure out how to translate that. I think work does not work the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and excess of wickedness, in humility, receive the implanted word, which is able to rescue your lives. Yet be doers of the word or doers of word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of word is, but not a doer, this man is, or this one is like a man that's looking at uh, the face, his natural face. That's a weird phrase. I don't know how to translate that. His natural face, his, his, his birth face. That's weird. I got weird to talk about that. His, his natural face in a mirror. For he has viewed himself, and then he goes away, and immediately he has forgotten what he was. Yet the one who looks intently, or peers into, that's how I want to translate it, peers into the perfect law of freedom, and has remained in it, uh, continued in it, is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of work. And this one is blessed or happy in the work of what he has done. I know this is really wooden and awful, but it's for funsies and we'll keep, we're almost done. Uh, If anyone seems religious to be, but is not bridling his tongue, but rather deceiving his heart, this one's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their tribulation and they will keep themselves, oh, and keeping themselves unstained from the word. World, excuse me, world. (laughs) The word of the Lord, question mark? (laughs) All right, thanks for your patience, listeners. And Mandy, you probably had to be more patient uh, having to stare at me do that. I caught different things as you were reading that wooden translation. And the phrase that stuck out to me that just kind of makes me laugh is that phrase implanted word, almost like we've got some microchip that's been planted in us that uh, these sleeper cells that are waiting to awaken the rise up. Oh, sleeper, just the sense that there is a, a truer, deeper sense of who we are that is already embedded within us that we need to somehow be able to access that there is a true self. Yeah, that that seed image, that planted seed in your hearts, the planted word is really getting in my in my mind here. Yes, this doctrine of the doctrine of the word. I mean the whole it, it is a united passage underneath I'm seeing it all. that now. I'm yeah, I think it, it because it's this father of lights which is obviously referenced back to creation, right? The first and fourth right. days. So this this is all creation kind of language and and there's no shadow of shifting, which is about his changelessness, but also about God. It doesn't have, there's not a moment where God creates darkness in the creation story, right? He creates the light and he calls the light good. He doesn't call the lightness in the dark good. He calls the light good. The darkness is just the absence of the light, the, the back and forth, the shifting of light and dark. But with God, it's just pure light. It's parallel to First John 1, right? God is light. Right. In him, there's no darkness at all. And so then this creator 
he has brought us forth by the word of truth, which is, I imagine, a reference both to our first creation as being creatures, but then also the particular, the new creation of being made members of the community of Jesus. I think it's meant to be both because this first fruit. So he's like this farmer and he's planted this word, verse 21, and maybe he's planted it in everybody as his creatures and, or he's planted it in all of all the Christians. But clearly the point is, is you've got all humans might have a little bit of the word in them, but they're not obeying it. And of course, James's whole point is even the Christians aren't really (laughs) obeying the word. So whether he's talking in general wisdom terms or in specific wisdom terms, either way, it's that imagery that you identified of that sleeper cell, this, he's putting something in us, but we need to cooperate with it, right? We need to lead to listen and obey and shape our lives around it, need to put into action. So he's planted a kind of, what'd you call it? A sleeper cell. There's a, there, uh, or a, a true self, uh, right. a, a, a potency, a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Although, There's lots although, of different you know, images. That, yeah. that has the connotation of something foreign being inserted into you is, is how we, which is why the opening line matters. Everything yes. that's good yes. comes from God. It, it's not yep. foreign. This is right. It's actually who we really are. It's in accordance yeah. with our true and best nature as, as humans made in the image of God. I feel like the image and, of God is not, hiding here. Yeah. Right. And to not recognize that, that image that is bursting forth within us is not really knowing who you are. It's, it's forgetting what you look like in the mirror. Yes. See, I think this mirror image is so strange. Yeah. I like that you saw that connection. I never saw that before of the implanted word and you know, us as first fruits of his creatures, this notion of there really is this text when it's quoted, this is the problem with the mic drop form of James is it can sound like he's saying, listening to the word is meaningless. It could sound like he means, why are we, why are we spending an hour talking about the Bible? We should just go out and do this stuff. Right. But actually he, the commendation is not just, yeah, listening's easy. You need to do it. He's actually saying, Look intently into the perfect law of freedom, right? He's actually implying that there is a failure even of hearing because he says you deceive yourself. If you say you're a hearer, but not a doer, you're actually not a hearer is I think the argument. Uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Which is contrary to the, again, the mic drop form that we usually have it in. But I think that's the track of the argument because you're actually deceiving yourself to be a hearer only. A hearer only is a self-deceived person because they didn't, because the law, it turns out the law was actually about you. You were supposed to come to a self-knowledge, a self-awareness of who it is that you are and who it is you're supposed to be and to live into that. And if you, and cause I don't know about you, but the imagery here is it's a self-defeating parable. Like who could possibly look in a mirror and forget who they are when they walk Mm -hmm. away? I, I, I wonder if the point, maybe I'm wrong. You, you correct me, but you know, this, text so much better than I. I mean, you, you you definitely live it better and you quote it a lot more. It's a text that you know really well, but I, I've had this hunch for a while and I wanted to test it with you that that maybe some of what he's getting at with the, the parable of the mirror is to kind of say, if you really heard the word, you would do it. Hearing and doing go together, hmm. really peering into the reality, not only of who God is, but of who we are. And what kind of people were called to be? I'm not saying it's automatic. I'm not saying, oh, if you're good, if you're good at Bible study, you'll be a good person. I don't think he's saying that. But right. I don't think he's simply saying there's a bunch of people running around who are they really know the law, but they just don't live it. I think he's saying they don't actually know the law. They just think yeah. they do. They really yeah. don't. Because yeah. to know it is to do it. That's true knowing, true knowledge. Right. right. True wisdom is to know and do. And the rest is just empty, huh. it's empty talk. It's empty words. You know, so hearing the word and not doing it, you're self-deceiving. You don't even realize that you're not hearing the word. Just like when you're looking into a mirror, you are seen, but not really seen. But perhaps you think you're seen. I, I wonder if there's that same perception uh, yeah. there with, with, nice. with the mirror. So uh, uh, you see yourself walk away and you forget, forget what you look like. Do you even know that you forget what you look like? <laughs> yeah, I think that is what he's saying. Because I think he's at least in his mind, talking to an audience who imagines themselves to be respecting the word, you know, 
yeah. uh, listening to the word, but he's seeing I, them not really living it out. And it's like, if you're, if you're hearing the commands of scripture and then turning around and behaving the way you are like minutes later, that's as ridiculous as looking in the mirror, walking away and saying, Oh, do you have blonde hair or, or, or brown hair? Oh, no, no, no. Let me go look at the mirror again. Like you, you, right. you know, there's something kind of silly about this where, where you could almost be mocking your, your readers, you know, Oh, Oh, what you forgot what you look like. It, it, again, it sounds simple, even though we might say it's hard to do. And I always think of first Corinthians 13, when I read this passage about seeing in a mirror dimly that, uh, that, that someday it will become more clear. And, and what I like about that in conversation with this passage is, is it, it, it does, it throws us a bone. It, it says, yeah, this is hard. <laughs> Even when you are trying as hard as you can, there's still a murkiness to this. And it might become clear as you go, but there's a sense in which we're not going to have this clear sense of this word that's planted in our heart until all things are revealed at the end. Man, yeah, you're right. But the, the eschatology is there. It's just very hidden, you know, because he talks about first fruits of his creatures so when you talk about, because I mean, the connection, of the, the, the eschatology is really obvious in 1 Corinthians 13. It's very in the forefront, but it's kind of hidden here, but it's, in, it's implied. This word has been implanted and then it's bursting forth. Wow. Now I'm getting too theological, typical me, but I mean, the word in some sense has already been implanted at the moment of creation. Mm-hmm. It's bursting forth into a first fruits in the community of Jesus with an intention to the transformation of the whole world in the end, right? That's the sort right. of eschatological framework that we're in. And I think that context matters though, because he's not simply waving his finger in a moralistic way in the bad sense of the term. He is, this is moral teaching, no question about it, but it's in a context of, of identity, who, who you are, right? That's what part of what the mirror right. image is doing. It's sort of saying, you know, you're not actually living as the community of Christ, yeah, and I think it's important to point out here too how much of a weapon this book could be. You you could preach some really shaming sermons out of James. Uh, so in some ways, the simplicity, the perceived simplicity of the book, really lends itself to to a kind of shame based preaching that that can come out of this. So I think that that's a warning that I think should be going off on our heads when we do. I try think that's to part of why you James brought up the mirror to kind of. And, th- and I did just glance. That's the only other place the, w- the word is used in the mm. whole New Testament is in 1 Corinthians 13. Bringing in that eschatological perspective, you don't have to use that term, obviously, in, in preaching and teaching, but having some sense of, at first glance, James is implying, well, it's easy to hear, but it's hard to do. But as we've spent a little more time with it, there's also some sense in which he's saying, Actually, you need to be a more intentive listener. Remember what he said, be quick to listen, right? So be a hearer. It's the same word, right. listen. It's the same word, quick to hear. I should probably translate it that way to see the, cl- the connection. Hmm. So hearing is a positive term. The problem is the self-deception of hearing that doesn't also do. And recognizing, like you said, yeah, it's maybe not always as easy as it seems, right? We may need to take a little time to really look intently into the law of God because it is our freedom. And we will find ourselves in the scriptures. We will find ourselves in the word that has been spoken because it's the same word that was implanted in us in our creation and in our baptism. This word is is in us and it's trying to burst forth. And it's, it's the, it's the hearing of the word that sort of brings it out. It's like the water that's watering the word and it's starting to burst forth. And our yeah. there's choices that we make to resist. It really connects with the parable of the sower in a way. I, I was thinking that too. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of soil that we have. Uh, and and th- we see this throughout the whole book of James, this slowness to speak and and the the need to control one's tongue, to bridle the tongue. You know, they, later he talks about the the bit in the mouth of the horse and the salt and fresh water coming from the same spring. So we, we see this all throughout the book, this importance of not just listening, but really, really listening. And uh, it seems to be pretty clear to James that in order to do that, listening requires a kind of control over your, over your tongue. Yeah, I agree. Those are more connected than, than I often see. I often see those as separate things. Like, And, and, and looking at, sorry to interrupt, looking at oh, uh, okay. chapter three too, looking at chapter three, 
he lightens the load a little bit in terms of he says, yeah, this is really hard. <laughs> it's, it's practically impossible yeah. to tame the tongue. So he, do, he doesn't make it sound quite, even though his imagery is simple, he does say, yeah, this isn't quite as simple perhaps as I'm making it sound. Yeah, but I think you're definitely right that, that it could be that an untamed tongue, an unbridled tongue, I know this is true in my own life, is the very thing that keeps me both from hearing and from doing the word, right? <laughs> if I'm talking, I'm sure. not listening. And if, when I deceive myself as a great listener of the word, as I sometimes do, because I'm sitting around like today talking about it, <laughs> but not doing it, right? So it's like, right. at least for me, the tongue is the, is the enemy of both hearing and doing, right? Mm -hmm. It's talking that gets us stuck or, or it's talking that is the, the wall to both genuine hearing and genuine doing, perhaps. It's true mm -hmm. for me, at least. Two ears, one tongue. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, there's a reason I don't like James because I'm a talker and it's just a guilt trip book for me, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. but it, but it's good for me. I'm not saying I, I don't like doesn't mean reject, you know, I right. mean, don't like as in I resist I, my, my, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. My flesh doesn't like the book because <laughs> it calls me out, you know, one quick little detail just before we take a quick break here. I just take a took a quick glance at that weird phrase that I didn't know how to translate in verse 23. Oh, yeah. So it's ta prosopon tes genesus autu in a mirror. So it's the face of nature, of generation, of birth. But the word for face, prosopon, is also the word for mask and also the word for a person, right? So if you're a, hmm. what it means to be a person is, is your face. This is like a, it's a very powerful image, both in Greek and in Hebrew, which may have been the first language of the author of this text. And so I wonder if, if this term is referring to just the, your literal face, meaning like if you just looked at your, your uh, he's preparing us for the, the analogy that he's going to introduce in the next verse when he thinks of the law. I think he's implying, you tell me if this makes sense of your reading of this. wonder if he's implying that we actually, a mirror, if you were to have a, a piece of glass, you know, set up as a mirror, that actually doesn't show you your most genuine face, your most genuine person. Right. You actually have to look intently into the law of God, right? It's the word of God that actually reveals who you really are. This is just putting a bow on a point you made earlier. I think he's implying there's some other kind of face, a deeper face of who we are, a deeper person mm -hmm. um, that's only manifest when we really look intently into the law of God um, and live accordingly, because that's this new person that's coming forth. If anyone is in new Christ, new creation, right? Yeah. I don't know, does that jive or did, or have I just done something that's totally foreign to the text as you see it? My mind started wandering to preaching that actually as you were talking. Um, Perfect. Well, let's take a break and well. come back and explore it. <laughs> Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. And right before the break, I made one last little exegetical comment. And Mandy, you said that something preaching started brewing. So let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, well, and I've got to preface this by saying next week I'm preaching at a middle school youth camp, which I haven't done in a while. And I'm preaching seven times. And so I've got preaching to junior high boys in my mind. And so I, I've got, I definitely have a youth group lens with which I'm reading this text, because especially because I need one more sermon. And so I'm thinking, oh, can I, oh, what about this? Ooh, maybe so, a new it, one. Maybe yeah. a new one. Uh, let's pretend you do for the next 20 minutes and let's okay, see where, let's okay, see your starter. Okay. Your sermon starter, where are you heading? Well, okay, this is just a random throwaway thought, but I probably wouldn't do anything, but I but I'd camp out on it first. When you were talking about the, the seeing yourself and not seeing the true self, it could be really fun to ask questions like, or, or to bring up the point that you look different in different lights, you know, different filters even. 
and uh, asking what this what this true filter of the spirit might look like. So I'm, I'm just thinking of illustration points that I would probably even have visuals there with teenagers where we're looking at the same image with different different filters. Uh, but 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 that's a side note here. That's well, it's not just a side note. I I love hearing your illustration ideas. That stuff's awesome, and it, it's especially in such an image rich text. There's yeah. anything we can do to make those, but they're, they're, they're more ancient images. And so anything right. we can do to update those images, I think is not only valid, but extremely helpful. Are you thinking like filters? What, what do you, are you talking about like filters Instagram. on Instagram stuff? stuff yeah. That's that what I, I thought you understand. Were. Yeah. So we'll have some people explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, before, before jumping into preaching this book, and maybe this is for my, because of my own tendency towards moralism. And um, I know I can have a judgmental spirit towards others and think more highly of myself than I should. But but in preaching James especially, is it in James where it talks about not many of you should presume to be teachers because you will be judged more uh, more harshly than others? I don't remember. I'll go check while you're talking. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in James. Um, yeah, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because, you know, those, yeah. So, I think I would start with that verse every time uh, for my own personal, <laughs> for my own. Yeah. Sake. James three, verse one. Yep. There we go. Okay. So I, I would start with that. Yeah. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. So, so I think that would be the very first thing I do before I start sermonizing on James is, is just reminding myself of this, because as I said earlier, it is easy to fall into a shaming lens in this book or to make things sound like it's so easy. Why don't you just do it? You idiot. So that would be where I start with this. I think another thing I would do, especially depending on the context is I would read the passage once, and then I would invite people to listen again and to even sketch or doodle an image that sticks out to them while they're listening to the word. Because people are going to be drawing all different kinds of things or, you know, maybe writing down a word if they're not, not too comfortable in that area. But, but to almost allow people to identify what picture sticks out to them the most that they can almost keep an ear out for then during the sermon. And I might even consider doing that for the whole book. Like, okay, it's James. First four minutes, we're going to spend listening and doodling here. Yeah. Um, with this particular passage, I am... I'm really drawn to the farming image, not farming, more the, the planting image and this and this mirror. I think I lean more towards the mirror at this point. But if I if I am at a church where it's not weird to bring out a prop, I probably would bring out a gigantic mirror, something to be looking at, to be referring to. So that's all kind of, kind of prolegomena for, for where I think I would head with this type of thing. The mirror stuff, I, I, I could have a lot of fun with that. Here's a thought in terms of uh, props and whether this, there could be contexts where a physical illustration is distracting and then you can be poetic and you can, you can use your words to paint this image, but there are more settings where you can bring out a prop than we often imagine. Props can be really great. So I'm thinking get some fun mirror and you could do a video if it's a setting where that's works better. You could do some fun house mirrors, you know, that distorts. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And then you could culminate in a in a proper mirror and then to highlight, but that only shows your natural face, hmm. not your supernatural face, not who you really are, not the implanted yeah. word. And this might take some time to make, but find a, a picture of Jesus, maybe an icon, maybe a, a just a picture of him that's framed. And so it's slightly reflective. Right. So you can see yourself a little sure. in it. Right. Right. This would be a good video, you know, you could make It'd be hard. It might hard. There's a lot of props to do on a, in a teaching setting, although it could be done. Cause I think yeah. the mistake would be to just say, ah, the funhouse mirrors and okay, here's who you really are. No, actually that's still not who you really are. That's just the surface. Yeah. That just leaves you where you're at. Let's see how the perfect law of love fulfilled in Christ mm. and then begin to see yourself in him. This is who you're becoming. This is who the father is, has implanted in you. So let's live into that. And then, and then you can mention in that context, practically some specific things that that means. And that's these mic drop things. Verse 19, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
to right. see that as an attribute of Jesus that's already been implanted in me, not something I'm creating out of nothing, but it's been yeah. implanted in me. I'm not the creator. God is, but that's emerging. And am I resisting it or cooperating with it? Hmm. Right? Hmm. Which means okay. look for an okay. opportunity. And then you can do the same with, with the visiting of orphans and widows and their affliction. Yeah. Yeah. That that's not, again, okay, have I visited enough widows to satisfy God? No, every good and perfect gift comes yeah. from the Father of lights. He's already planted this word in you. But let's have that word grow. Let's have it bear some fruit. I think what I'm, I'm missing here is a big picture statement, the goal of this passage. And that yeah, I, I, well. <laughs> I think it would be, I think the preface for all of this for me, if I were preaching, would be there is a true you there is this true essence of who you are that that we want to see that 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 this passage is trying to help us see who we really are created to be uh, our most authentic true selves of who we are and and you could you could play around you were mentioning different mirrors but but the insufficiency of images that we have you know a spoon makes you upside down a mirror is just a refracted mm-hmm. this or that a x-ray you know shows you inside yourself but but it doesn't it doesn't really you know it's, it's not it's, the true you either it's it's yeah. not the true you either and uh that while perhaps the true year you is a mirror that you will see clearly you know at, at, at the end of time there are ways of living that help clarify the picture for us a bit more and then jumping into those things that that you're mentioning. Now, in some ways, it sounds like a very self-focused sermon. Oh, who are you? Who are you supposed to be? Look at, you know, navel-gazing type stuff. And yet, when we look at the things, as you were saying, the things that right. help us clarify who we are, it has us with, with orphans, with widows, with how we're relating to others. So even though Speaking it's focused on, on who anger. is... What is yes. the seed that's been implanted in you? You can't figure that out without being in true relationship with other people. Because that is the real you. The real right. you right. is the community of freedom that the the law of God creates. Yeah, yeah. That's the real you. The real you isn't my own personality, my natural face, the thing I see in the mirror. That isn't the real me. Right. Hmm. I like it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I want to hear this sermon. Maybe it'll be on the night when I come down to the camp. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no, it's actually lived out. I, I like that you're saying to, to, to capturing the unity of the whole text as well as the whole sermon that might be preached on it is very challenging. I think it's a central yeah. challenge yeah. in all wisdom literature preaching. Have you ever preached on like, <laughs> I can preach on a one Psalm, one proverb verse, but right. if I'm given a chapter, right. it's really hard. It is. Yeah. It's not all unified. Although when you look intently into those words, you sometimes start to see some patterns and those patterns are much more powerful than just a bunch of instructions that make me feel like a failure. And I will say this passage after talking this through with you is way more cohesive than I, than I thought at the beginning. Well, I hope that cohesion's in the text and not something forced by our exegetical (laughs) ingenuity. Right. Right. Uh, and there, hey, there is that last phrase too here on, on uh, 27. So caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And there mm. too, we could talk about, uh, you know, the world's tendency to corrupt these images, to distort the mirror. Oh, that's nice. Let's look at the word real quick. Yeah. Unstained or spotless. Well, I know if you're talking to, especially to teenagers, but to anybody. And in, in the world of image and the way we touch up our images to take yeah. away all the, yeah. and this is a kind of different kind of uh, touch up. This isn't about uh, keeping ourselves that ironically, sometimes obsessing over um, our own uh, perfect image is actually a, a kind of stating because <laughs> the real, we're actually hiding the real, the real reality which is not our natural face either, but the word that's been implanted in us, the true you. I like true you. I like it. I, I don't think there's something wrong with that, especially because in English, the, the you is both singular and plural, right? So you can use hand motions to, so you talk, the sermon starts out true you. All good preaching has to start out a little selfish because that's where we are <laughs> as sinners and need to be right, drawn right. out of, right? right? So you appeal to that, but then pull out from there, right? Hmm. 
So to even use the hand motions, this isn't good radio, but when you say true you with a finger, you, true you, and then the pointing with the hand outstretched to a whole, the whole congregation, yes. Yes. the true you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Is, it's how we live together and how we take care of those outside yeah. of us and how we don't and get I, caught. And, and stained by the world mm-hmm. is very clearly in chapter two, because that's a, remember the last line of every paragraph is kind of the jumping off point to the next chapter right, two is very right. clearly worldliness is about money. Yeah, it's about yeah. riches. So don't be unstained. Keep oneself unstained with worldly wealth is actually would be not, it would be a paraphrase, not a translation, but a paraphrase that would be uh, fair to the, to where the text is going. Sure. Sure. Um, so, and it's related. That's why it's paralleled with orphans and widows and their affliction, right? It's, you know, instead of hoarding wealth for yourself, use whatever wealth you have to care for others. They really go together. Yeah, this keeping yeah. self unstained from the world isn't like, don't hang around with worldly people. That's not the, the focus of that. It's the, it's the worldly power worldly wealth that's what he's yeah and you know that i i mentioned the the navel gazing you know who am i but but one of the alternatives of that is is the danger then of comparing your image with other people's images you know that that doesn't right. solve the problem of just focusing on, yep. on how other people are are portraying themselves side no, note this has nothing this has nothing to do with the sermon but uh sam asked me last night he said mom you know you know the the evil queen in snow white I said, yeah, he goes, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest one of all? And he said, why didn't at the end of the movie, instead of her turning herself into this ugly hag, why didn't she just turn herself into the most beautiful woman in the world? Like huh. I said, it has nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, yeah. Good question. Good question. <laughs> Don't preach that. But but uh, I, have been, I have not stopped thinking about that since he brought it up. Okay. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Back to the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best. Well, once again, we apologize for the abrupt ending of the podcast here. We only missed out on a few closing moments. However, I hope you gleaned some fresh insights on this well-known passage, and we look forward to continuing to explore the book of James in the coming weeks. As always, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music, and thanks to Eric Fisher for all his technical and logistical consultation. And thanks most of all to you, our listeners, who are with us week in and week out, even when we get you the show a day late. We truly can't imagine doing this without you. And finally, as always, we say, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.